Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also, small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to LinkedIn.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center Podcast feed. I'm Ken Napsok. I'm Joseph Scrimshaw, and this is The Mandalorian Report, the show where we talk about all things Mandalorian. In this episode, we're discussing Disney Gallery, colon, The Mandalorian, colon, 
legacy. So many colons and so much beauty to discuss in this episode of Disney Gallery. Right, Ken? A lot. And this was an episode for me, Joseph, that kind of stayed with me more the second time. Not that I didn't enjoy it the first time. I watched it on Friday night, watched it with Grace. I love seeing things through her eyes. It was going back, and, and this podcast, this show, affords us the ability to kind of go back and look at things with a little bit of a magnifying glass, and other things started jumping out that I, I that didn't connect with me as much Friday night, and so this ended up being a pretty deep episode, which I guess, Joseph, something titled Legacy would lead you to believe there's some deepness uh, coming. Yeah, it leads you to believe that there should be, but this episode, man, it, it, uh, it blew my mind in a great great way uh this was the episode that made me feel like okay i am gonna have to stay up until uh, midnight on thursday because i woke up to tweets going you gotta see this the epic feloni speech was like come on spoilers for a behind the scenes show about a television show i already watched what is the world coming to uh so i asked my wife uh because we're working from home on friday like i can't wait i gotta see this do you want to eat lunch with me early so so we can watch this before i hear what it's about uh and we watched it and Man, something called legacy, especially Star Wars, where that is so much of the heart of what Star Wars is, you could possibly hear just kind of platitudes or some straightforward things that we've all heard a lot, not that they aren't powerful, but this came at it in such a different and honestly deeper way that I was just really blown away and really thrilled by it and had a great long conversation with my wife right away afterwards and just really grateful for it. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I, I same thing with Grace uh, sitting there uh, after it, and she it's so wonderfully funny. She was like, "Who's who's the guy in the cowboy hat?" I, I like it. <laughs> and explain a little bit about him, uh, everything that swirls around him. Sometimes our feelings of him, which are all really positive, but sometimes uh, the uh, uh, promotion of him to thy God can kind of rub me the wrong way. I don't want to speak for you, and it, it, it was good, but it was great. And this this episode. Just got uh, us both, got those nerd chills, got a little uh, wet eyes, uh, particularly uh, Carl Weathers, by the way. Yes. Yes. That was one of the things that affected me the deepest. Yes. Yes. And and that's why we're going to dive in here because, yes, the, I keep saying yes, like I like was like <laughs> um, The Filoni thing was the main event. I, we're totally on board for that. We're going to dive into that, but also what that speech kind of meant for us here at Force Center. But, yeah, they're on second viewing. Uh, Rick Famuyiwa, uh, uh, Carl Weathers, Pedro Pascal, a lot of great little moments that inspired us to have deeper thoughts. Uh, and I, I want, as before we jumped in even a little more detail, Joseph, what are, what are your thoughts? We keep asking this every week. We asked it last week. I, I think it's still pertinent here. What are your thoughts on the presentation of this series so far, two episodes in? It's it's a little different for me in, in the best way. It, it, it's circumventing my expectations. Yeah, I like the way it sort of disarms you that it feels like it's going to be a round table and you get flashes of behind the scenes and and you get some kind of straightforward information right at the beginning and then it dives deep. And I think what I liked about this episode so much is that the way it was structured, just the way it was presented, uh, draw, drew you into the idea of simple ideas of legacy. Of we've, we've taken bits and pieces of all of Star Wars but then we get that Carl Weathers, that great uh, speech where he's basically saying, I needed to hear all of the things that Star Wars was trying to tell me in my 20s. I was searching for that, but I didn't see it because I was caught up in what Filoni later calls the, the decoration of Star Wars. And mm -hmm. it, it starts to become about, toward the end, this discussion of, of course, the, the 
surface level, the decoration of Star Wars, uh, as Filoni called it, the X-Wings and the, the droids and the weird aliens, they're all a huge, huge part of the magic but and a part of the gift, but they can also be a distraction from believing that there's more to it. And the way the episode was constructed, that kind of Carl Weathers and everybody else talking about those ideas brilliantly set you up for, all right, if the idea is that Star Wars is beautiful and weird and cool on the surface, but deep and soulful underneath. What is that soul? And it like teed up that speech mm. in a mm. from Filoni in a beautiful way. So that was one of the main things I like, not just the ideas, but the way that this episode set us up to receive those ideas. Yeah, you're talking about a lot of great things here that got me too. It's it's this believing in Star Wars and then understanding Star Wars. I was was really affected by Carl Weathers saying, I didn't I didn't hear that. And you don't hear that in your early 20s because you're in the middle of the journey. And too bad we don't hear it then. And I know a lot of our listeners do now across all sorts of age groups, which is why we love our Force Center community. Different vantage points, different entry points in Star Wars. And, and they did touch into the big galaxy here. So anyways, a lot to get into. Uh, we always ask this question. Any big behind the scenes revelations or production insights? We haven't really got that yet. That was a question we wrote down on the notes before this series started. <laughs> I'm sure we're going to get some, but was there anything in this episode that that pulled you in just uh, on a basic uh, behind the scenes level? Yeah, two things. In one, you acknowledged uh, in your notes, so we'll talk about it later. But just the briefest flash of seeing a puppeteer working with uh, the child. I, I froze it and took a picture of it where you can see that the child is staring at the camera. And then so is the person with their hand up the child puppet <laughs> staring at the same time. That was like, ooh, this glimpse of I, I really do think that we're getting there, that we're going to get into that technical. Uh, and this had an element of technical, obviously, as well. Uh, but yeah. I think we're going to get to that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I would love. Um, I think I would love a series just on John Knoll. Uh, I, I really would. I I I'm really fascinated by Knoll, his career, including he and his brother, just you know, creating Photoshop, all these kind of things they did. So I uh, love was there. Uh, um, for me too. Uh, one little moment, and we've seen it. We've seen it. Um, but again, we talk about watching these shows with, uh, you know, our partners, your wife, my girlfriend, and just the different perspectives they bring in our own little. Uh, you know, Star Wars home teams, as they keep telling <laughs> the performers and actors just being moved by the simple image of Mando in the ship, the Razor Crest, but on set, where you just see how real it is. And that sparked a conversation of even going to solo, of Alden Ehrenreich kind of actually seeing the Falcon go to light speed, uh, you know, in the hyperspace for the first time. And that kind of almost being his real reaction and how it read so authentic in solo. And I, I just really love that we are at a point in that going back to the, you know, I love the clip. They, they see a lot, the behind the scenes of, of, of Alec Giddis and Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford, Peter Mayhew in the Falcon cockpit and they're shaking it and they're moving along and they're practicing. And, and that's all wonderful. And part of Star Wars legacy too, but just to see how we've grown uh, and it just, to me, makes, more richer, even more richer performance because everyone in a new hope brought a rich performance in that cockpit. But it, 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 it moved me in that way too, of just seeing like, wow, this, this is really cutting edge stuff that is only going to get better. Yeah. There, there were so many great kind of thematic moments from talking about dreaming of being uh, on the technical side of movie making to dreaming of how, how to kind of live out the fantasy of being a Star Wars storyteller that, it was great to see that uh, extended to the actors too, where you get to see them that they are immersed in the fantasy in a deeper way 
than actors were back in the day when they can now just be like, yeah, no, I look, I look over there and that's the planet I'm in and, and it's all real. Yeah. Look, I, you and I love them, love them prequels and the prequels come up a lot in this episode. There are something you hear Natalie Portman and her frustrations of like, I didn't know what was going on. It was all blue and green things. And that's, that's not George's fault. That's, that's just the time. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure if George was 10 years younger, he'd be like, let's, uh, let's redo the prequels with this volume thing. I, <laughs> but, and you hear the stories of, uh, you know, Sir Ian McKellen, McKellen and the Hobbit just having a little bit of a breakdown with Peter. That stuff's real as a performer. Uh, it's part of the, the challenges of doing these big kind of genre pictures and the, the black blockbusters uh can you act with a tennis ball but it's getting better and better and and this uh this show is highlighting that for me so yeah yeah i know that you i'm sorry go ahead no 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 sir you i was gonna say i know that we both talked about and kind of reacted to the actual round table the the council of favreau uh how did you feel about those dynamics this episode you know, I, so I love John doing this, uh, you know, what is, uh, we were joking about the party five, but the dinner with five and everything. And I, I think it's a really interesting uh, style, uh, a, a, a PBS kind of style, right? And I like it. I, it didn't work for me as much in this episode at times, only because I thought a lot of people at, at that table, especially when Kathy Kennedy and John Nolan and, and, and the more technical side uh, guys were up there, the animation supervisor, everything. Uh, I wanted some more of their things, and I felt John. I, I John is great. Uh, I just I this is me, Joseph. He cut he cut people off a lot. Where I was just like, John, funny comment. I want to hear more from John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I think he he's trying to do. He's trying to play host, right? He's trying to ask the deep questions, yeah. and he's trying to throw in the the bit of levity that I know you as a, a podcast host and an interviewer know that that's can sometimes be the challenge. Mm-hmm. I think I was grateful last week. I, we were discussing. Being aware that this is uh, Disney producing a Disney documentary about a Disney show. So being aware that this is an opportunity for them to shape the narrative. I was actually happy to see that little bit of a back and forth between Favreau and Kathleen Kennedy about, uh, you know, John Favreau is ready to play his party game where he wants to do do the party game by his rules. We're going to go around in a circle. And Kathleen Kennedy's like, actually, I have a thing I want to say first. And that little push and pull, they could have edited around in it. I appreciated the authenticity, because I think that's the reality. I don't think there's any depth for me. I don't think there's any depth of um, who should be in charge of Star Wars to be found from that conversation. I think it was just sort of, it's that reality of passionate uh, people in a room together. So I liked being able to see that. And I liked the clarity of, they made that choice to have that epic Filoni speech, right? There's no, it's not like, ah, we couldn't edit around it. So I guess we have to put it in. That's a choice to present to the audience Mm -hmm. and all that stuff really struck me positively on this episode. Yeah. When they're structuring this doc, they, the, the, in the series, they probably, Hey, look, we have this and we obviously want to talk about the legacy at the very end of this. There's, there's a big question I want to ask you about this episode overall that I thought was something was very, uh, a theme all the way through, but, uh, yeah. So you, they, they had something good. They knew they had a good monologue and they built to it. And, and, and that's, I'm not taking any shots at John as a host. I think he's really good. I just say there was a couple moments, the party. I'm so glad you brought that up. It was, I was laughing, especially the second time he is just, and I've been, I've been there as a, as a host, too, where you're just like, I got something. I got something. Let's do a party game. And Kathy Kennedy's like, yeah, let me tell you this story. <laughs> yes. A little moment. I can think of specific moments where I have come up with a game, especially when I used to do my podcast, Obsessed Live. I can sp- think of specific <laughs> moments where like, all right, that's funny what you said, but play my damn game. 
with Kim. And hey, look, a little, uh, you know, not, for what it's worth, uh, hosting 101 from Joseph and Ken, just sometimes you do have to let it flow and let your guests kind of dictate. It is about them more than you. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, I don't, I, 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 I don't want to say like I'm criticizing Fever. It just was fun. That's that's the format, though. You're around around the table. I almost wish they all had like omelets or something. <laughs> It'd be fun. Um, let's start diving into some of the details here and we'll uh, work up to the big main event. I know you're all are wondering what we think about here. Uh, I do want to start with Favreau outside of the round table. They discussed, uh, they had a little behind the scenes thing on set on a train yard in Los Angeles. He mentions, uh, as we all kind of knew, uh, John Favreau started by saying uh, they tried to draw from quote, all over star Wars saying it's, it's really helpful for authenticity so I want to start here. A couple of questions out of this, Joseph. How do we feel about that considering, you know, we do hear some fans only wanting, quote, new things. And and what does drawing from all over Star Wars mean to you? I think I uh, took it pretty thematically uh, as we're going to talk about some of those themes later. But I also th- took it just like from pit boy, uh, from pit droids to death troopers. Here's Star Wars. It's all connected. Um, and I think it, it I think it was that sense of we didn't see familiar characters doing familiar things or too much reference to what we had known them for previously. We talked about this last episode that there's a power in uh, Rick Famuyiwa's Famuyiwa's, uh, relationship with the Jawas because we're seeing a different perspective of them. Uh, I love that Tusken Raider scene in uh, episode five, chapter five, because Mm -hmm. that's seeing them from a different perspective. It is all this, like they have said, hey, what if you went into the cantina and you just followed those characters around? So I feel like we're seeing the familiar, but we're getting to dive deeper and see their perspective a little bit more. You just really hit the nail on the head and made, made it even more clear for me, sir. Because, yeah, that that is part of the appeal. We hear this. That's too much nostalgia. That's just the right amount of nostalgia. And I don't know, sometimes you see it and you know it when it's too much. And sometimes I think... I think it gets that word too much or that phrase too much nostalgia gets tossed around too much for my taste. <laughs> what you're describing, the Jawas is a great example. Number one, they're off-world Jawas, change canon, but uh, we got to see their their uh, picnic setup up, up top. <laughs> we got to see things. And so, yeah, you're right. And and just to the very nitty-gritty of the detail, I think it does help. Look, you, I love me my sequel trilogy, but yeah, a couple more aliens I'm familiar with would have been appreciated by me doesn't distract or detract for uh, me uh, from anything i saw on screen and i know the creators from ryan johnson on down or jj on down are excited about creating new creatures that they can add to the star wars universe not necessarily worried about the star wars visual dictionary um uh, so i think mando did work for me in that regard where hey i i know that thing but it's not the thing i knew it's something different a different take on it so uh, I, I really like what you said there, Joseph, that that's part of what worked for me. Yeah, absolutely. And we're seeing them do different things, right? Yeah. Even just following, you know, Mando as a bounty hunter and really diving all the way in on screen with what is that life? They're, yeah, it's just new approaches to the familiar. Yeah, which is what season one of Mando seemed uh, one of their... Yeah, you know, I don't know. Thesis statements. Uh, yeah. And new characters. But here's the question I, I, I have to ask here, especially with some of the news coming out this week. We can talk about it on the main show, at least one of the news stories since it came from The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, but um, 
you know, Mando season one, it's, it's, it's creatures and areas and ships, you know, but not actual characters. So what do you think is going to happen, Joseph, when familiar faces, not just the places, but the familiar faces show up to play in this show? I think it is going to be a challenge uh, for viewers and a challenge for all of us who, who are in the Star Wars discussion community, because I think what is being, I don't know, I, I don't want to put words into other people's mouths. My sure. perception is that when we see Jawas and they do something new, we're kind of like, well, it's, it's fine because I don't, I haven't had 8 million um, debates about whether Jawas are the best character in Star Wars or not. Uh, I think what we get with Boba Fett is baggage. And I think that's sometimes I think when we say we want something new, mm. I think maybe, at least for myself, maybe what that means is I want to be free of my baggage. And I yeah. think that's the key to you watch. And I thought about this, too. When we talked about it when Mandalorian was on is people were like, this is so fresh. This is so new. But it's like, yeah, but no, but they just kind of visually name checked, you know, a Kowakian monkey lizard and this character's back and that's character's back. And here's a here's a joke for kind of the umpteenth time about a stormtrooper um, being a bad shot. Oh, here's the dark saber. That's absolutely loaded yeah. down with that is that is the farthest thing from new it's it is an immediate request to do a wikipedia search and a rewatch of half of clone wars and rebels there's yeah. and i i had been wrestling with i'm glad that people are, are feeling like this is so fresh and new but why don't they care about these things and i think your question and the the possible return of boba fett kind of answers those because all of those things are free of baggage yeah. nobody has had decades long fights about the dark saber so, hmm. but Boba Fett, that's baggage. You, using the dark, dark saber in this series is, as John Favreau would say about the Empire Strikes Back, a deep cut. So, that's <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well said, sir. And if, uh, hopefully, hopefully not, I'm not cutting off your statement here, but yeah, the, the, the baggage and the expectations of a next season, just regardless of who shows up to play in this world, I, I I almost twirl my mustache and be like, all right, here we go. Season two. You all have thought about what you want to see in season two now. Now let's see what it is. I want this show to succeed and and blow past all of your expectations, but you might have to release yourself from all sorts of baggage going into season two. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, who knows? It could be that they said our our keynote idea for the first season is Western. And that's come up a lot. It would Samurai and, you know, in, in the legacy of, you know, what Westerns adopted. But Samurai, Western. Maybe this one is, hey, the se season two is like mafia family action adventure. And, and mm -hmm. the tone has changed because they have a different idea. Will that be a, a thing where people have baggage and go, no, the Mandalorian is about being a, a Western Samurai story. So, you know this isn't my Mandalorian or will people continue to have that, that openness with it uh, that I really hope we can all yeah. offer. I hope so. I hope so. Uh, the show folks, we just did, I think almost 10 minutes on one, two second clip of Favreau. Bear with <laughs> uh, <laughs> Welcome to Fort Center. The round table begins and I love the switch up. We had, we had uh, John Noel. Gosh, I forgot. I did not write everyone's name down. I apologize. But Kathleen Kennedy, John Knoll, I know those people. Uh, and a, a, a host of others sitting around the table with John Favreau and the man in the cowboy hat. They talk about uh, John Knoll. I love hearing his story. Again, I'm fascinated with this guy, including him just kind of 
casually pitching and nervously pitching Rogue One to Kathleen Kennedy and everyone else down the hall. Um, so uh, one thing that I, I want to focus on here, we can maybe get to Noel. Favreau kind of started this. And look, he's a big fan, without a doubt. I don't want anyone to think I'm suggesting different. But he talked about it. I thought it was really interesting because I've heard you kind of talk about this in a similar way. And this was a great opening kind of conversation point for this episode as it rolled out, especially the second time I watched it. Favreau talked about loving New Hope, being a kid, being a, but he's a little older. He's in high school. He's wearing as an usher when, uh, you know, or maybe he's an usher when New Hope comes out. I forget the age, but he's a little older when Return of the Jedi comes out. And he said, he, I, was, I was beginning to grow past the franchise by Jedi and it was turning to the Mad Max movies, you know, Road Warriors, that kind of stuff. What insight does that do you think that gives us into the creation of this series? And then we can come back to this point when we're talking later on about Carl Weathers. Yeah, this was great. Uh, the, yeah, I think he was saying like he was a kid uh, in his mind when A New Hope came out. But by the time Return of the Jedi, he was a teen. He was working at the uh, at, at the movie theater. And he said, you know, with the Ewoks and that and yeah. just that <laughs> little phrase of it wasn't my main thing anymore. That was I think him speaking very politically, but uh, he's uh, he's older than me. But you and I have talked about a lot of the time. You and I are very close in age, but I had that different life experience where I was really old enough to be cognizant of Empire and spend three years wondering what will happen in Return of the Jedi and having all of these hopes and desires uh, and, you know, internalizing these those playground conversations. And it makes a ton of sense to me that Favreau is an Empire kid because yeah, New Hope has some like sillier stuff in it. Uh, so does Empire, but Empire is your heroes get their asses kicked. Boba Fett looks so damn cool, and he's so damn mysterious. And you know, it, every every the characters are just it's I'm I'm stuttering, but uh, Empire is frightening, and it's cool, and it's badass. And I think some of the weight of just living with not only is Luke. Uh, uh, Darth Vader, Luke's father, but he beat him up and cut his hand off before he told him. And Obi Wan lied to him. And what the hell is going to happen to Han? Can he even trust Lando? When you when you live with that for years, I think it makes you more of a fan of the edgier, darker side of Star Wars. And I think that makes perfect sense. That that Favreau is of the age going. What's the deal with the bounty hunters? How cool is Boba Fett? How much ass does he kick? What are the teddy bears doing here? And yeah. I think he you can see that he is obviously, you know, uh, an adult who has grown past those feelings. Mm -hmm. But this this show comes so much from a teen, a young uh, person who wanted to know what the deal with Boba Fett was. What if yeah. Boba Fett had to babysit <laughs> a baby Yoda? Like it makes perfect sense that Favreau is an empire kid. Yeah. And, and first of all, he's clearly not above cute because he gives us the child and, and that's the, perhaps the cutest thing in star Wars right now. Right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I'm right there with it, but I, I love what you said here again to the, Season one of Mando has the look and the and, and, and the aesthetic of, of episode four for me, including going back to Tatooine with some of the same spots and shots and all this stuff. But you really touched on something I, I agree with here, that the the feeling definitely goes to Empire, definitely goes to a little more dark, that, that dark and gritty that everyone loves to throw around. But again, the characters, the feeling, the questions, uh, I, I think that's really insightful that 
it, it is empire more than star Wars, even though star Wars began his journey uh, like a lot of people. So uh, we'll see. And then we'll talk a little bit later about growing up and growing with star Wars in different directions. All right, John Knoll, my man, John Knoll talked about being inspired by star Wars to get into a more technical and behind the scenes side of being creative. And, and Joseph, you and I are, we're storytelling and performance-based creatives. Uh, you've got a lot of different skills uh, with art, visual art, drumming, by the way. Scrimshaw's a good drummer. <laughs> you know this? Uh, so not to put you or I into a box, but that's kind of generally our, our approach. Writing, storytelling, stand-up comedy, uh, theater, all those kind of things. I, I got to ask you, how, is exciting, how exciting is it to be reminded that the, the Star Wars legacy of inspiration goes so beyond just that kind of creativity? It goes into the science, the technical side, the behind the scenes, the model making. I personally just love being reminded of that. I love hearing stories of, I work for NASA because I saw an X-Wing. I, yeah. And I love being folk, and John Knoll is, uh, is part of that for me. Yeah, this was one of the things that my wife and I talked about right afterwards because she had just read or heard a story somewhere, and I'm sorry I don't remember the details, but it's the kind of story that you hear all the time of uh, somebody who had gone into uh, biomechanical medicine basically because of Luke's hand at the end of Empire. Um, yeah. it, it's yeah. always powerful because, as you illustrated so well, you and I come a little bit more from the creative side and from the story and the characters. Uh and sometimes you have those conversations, I have them with friends of like, I know you like Star Wars and it's good and all, but really, why can't we move on? What's such a big deal about it? And I sometimes approach it from just the, what I believe about it creatively, but it is so powerful to be reminded of, it's not just the story on the screen. It uh, absolutely changed special effects. It changed sound design. It changed uh, marketing and toys and how much the, the just the existence of the summer blockbuster and how kind of our schedule uh, uh, was constructed um and so much about the business that i like that they they featured the technical legacy but it was such a great m reminder of that the legacy radiates out in all of these different directions and affects lots of different people even if they're not as into the the deep themes and characters of star wars I like, yeah, uh, Kathy Kennedy saying, you know, I show up and, <laughs> you know, they hand the big, uh, the, the secret file on, on my desk. Here's area 51 of, of Lucasfilm and, uh, you know, 120 <laughs> patents and all those kind of things. Uh, I love that she was just blown away by that. And it speaks to, to George and where it starts from. And again, a lot of other people, you know, a lot of John Dykstra comes in and helps create some of the stuff that motion capture stuff they're talking about. If you, you know what, you can watch those docs on it, but you talked about the marketing and Charles Lippincott and what he mm -hmm. did and going into uh, the, you know, comic cons and that kind of stuff. I, I had that. It was horribly awkward interaction with Jim Swearingen, who's featured in that first episode of the toys that made us. He's the Kenner guy that kind of was in charge of really starting this up before a lot of other people came to the table at Kenner. And I saw him and I ran up to him. And I, I think I've told the story in Four Center before, but I, I kind of blanked on even his name. I just was like, Toys that made us guy. Ah! And, he, and he was kind of like, uh, he, I'm not saying he was rude, but he was just kind of like, why am I being accosted by this weird man? Um, <laughs> wish I had that chance again, because him being inspired, going to see these guys model making, inspired by that, inspired him to make the toy versions and dig in deep and say, we need to do this. And all the people uh, in, in that episode who are highlighted from Kenner, that's part of the inspiration too. And that comes from this George scribbling down something on a, on a, on a legal notepad in 1973 and, and earlier. That's part of the legacy. And I'm glad they, they talked about it when they're doing an episode about legacy. 
Yeah, yeah. And I like that it was about the legacy of the storytelling, but also like the way they split off and goes, we're not just talking about Star Wars. We're talking about industrial light and magic because that's a part of the legacy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that Empire of Dreams doc, uh, I love it. I just put it on a lot of times. And I was, you know, like you j- said about even this series, it's Lucasfilm uh, doc about George Lucas making Lucasfilm properties and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But watch it if you haven't, because they do kind of run through some of that stuff of, you know, LucasArts and Pixar and all those kind of things. And, and uh, I think that's should never be forgotten. I don't think it is, but I, I think it should never be forgotten about George uh, here. Uh, and, and Kathleen Kennedy's jumped in. It was a great point because I loved hearing, I loved that moment with John Knoll saying, every year we'd add, you know, some of that, <laughs> you're going to do Star Wars? And then one year he's like, yeah, yeah, we might do Star Wars. And I'm sure George underplayed it at that moment. I loved, uh, Joseph, when, when Kathleen Kennedy jumped in here. First of all, what kind of resume? Uh, what I was talking about with this Grace, with with Grace, what Kathleen Kennedy j- just gets to say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. When we were making indie, when we were on yeah. set for this, what a resume! What a resume from Kathleen Kennedy. I love it. Uh, so she says, hey, let me let me say here, George George Lucas never stopped thinking about making more Star Wars movies. Uh, it was the pushing of the technology, specifically. She cited some you know Last Crusade, the Indiana Jones films, which you know she said. Hey, that was that Star Wars was even more. So uh, this kind of lines up with some of the stuff about George, even the special editions, controversies and all of George saying technology finally is catching up to my vision that I had. Um, so I, I got it. It takes conversation in different areas. I'll start here for you, Joseph. Like, how did our appreciation of the, the groundbreaking achievements in the prequels grow from when we saw it in 99 to now where our fandom is? And do you have any specific moments in show out? Yeah, I mean, I think just Jar Jar and uh, the the I think modern uh, perspective and respect that he was a huge uh, advancement uh, in that Lucas was willing to take that risk and wanted to take that risk. And that regardless of how anybody felt about the actual character at the time or regardless how people might feel about him now that Jar Jar himself is just a massive technical uh, accomplishment uh, just I think it for me it made it always makes me respect that Lucas that that's a part of the magic of Star Wars that's a part of the legacy of Star Wars is pushing technology forward and that's for me like when when we go to Rogue One and sometimes Tarkin's a little bit in the uncanny valley for me but I'm just kind of delighted by it because that to me is a part of the spirit of Star Wars is let's uh, push it forward. You know, uh, as Filoni says, I can draw a direct line from Jar Jar stepping in poo to Tarkin's face in Rogue One and they're part of the same legacy. <laughs> well said, well said. Yeah, I'm with you too on the Ahmed best is Jar Jar thing. That that documentary, The Beginnings, really highlights that. I think highlights that he did such a good job with what he was was given and how much he he created that character uh, just as much as as some of the other people involved in it and i'm glad he gets that credit now regardless i think i think you're hearing more of those conversations of uh, i might not like jar jar but hey at least this happened so I'm, i'll take that and then we can start growing um in another direction over jar jar uh that and then i i go back to and it's still kind of a funny moment for me because ben burt is not so subtly frustrated but the editing of Phantom Menace of George literally taking like an actor from one scene, a hand from an actor in another <laughs> scene, putting them all together at the time, at the time in the late nineties, that's like, that's, that's crazy talk. That's just, just crazy talk. And you can see it on Ben Burt's face a little bit. Cause you know, he is genius as he is. He's still working with the, 
things of the time and all right, it's a little bit of playing God in the editing room. I think that stuff's way more commonplace. I think it's way more, uh, you know, it, part of the filmmaking process and fascinated that that is on the list of things that the Phantom Menace uh, did, you know, and there might've been specific examples before in other films, but I just, I always go back to that moment in the documentary and I thought about it when Kathleen Kennedy was talking. Yeah. Yeah. One other thought on this that, that comes up whenever we get into what, what George was doing technically in the prequels, that great point of view lesson, which is one of the things that made me appreciate the prequels more of if you take George at his word, it's not that he reinvented Star Wars. Like we had these kind of opinions of like, well, Star Wars aliens look kind of cool and they're kind of humanoid shaped. They're like Rodians. And if they're really crazy, they're like Thorians or like IG-88, but they're all kind of in. And there was that attitude for some of us of, of my generation mm-hmm. that Ben Quadneros is not what a Star Wars alien looks like. And if you take George at his word, it's like, no, if, if I had the technology, <laughs> Ben Quadneros might have been in the cantina in A New Hope. Mm. There, yeah, there is, I, th- I think it, gosh, it, it has to be Empire of Dreams because I've seen it so many times. It's just part of, it's part of my mind. There, it, it, It's Mark Hamill talking pretty honestly about, we read the script, what the cantina was, and wow, oh my God. And then we show up on set and we were like, what is this? There's like, <laughs> there's like, a, like what's going on? It, it's, and that was an older interview for an older docu documentary. So you can see even then on set in 75, 76, that that George was probably already and there's been interviews where he's like, God, I just I was really frustrated. It, um, so it makes sense. Uh, it makes sense that you're right. Ben Quadraneros would have been at that bar. <laughs> um, so we're going to move on here to uh, part of the next uh, section here. This is kind of George's legacy of creating this universe. Filoni talked about uh, one of the keys to new Star Wars is to tap into George's brain. And he does admit like, I, I had the benefit of of working with the guy. I saw it. And this all Luke, the Millennium Falcon, Darth Vader, Yoda. And they cut to a great shot of Yoda up close, given the face. <laughs> um, so he talked about, Filoni talked about trying to tap, tap into George's brain, which is an impossible task and stay true to what uh, this star Wars is, but also find new ways to tell the story. And then that led, led them into some really good little sound bites, interviews with the directors and cast and crew. I, I'll start here, Joseph. What do you even think tapping into George's brain is like or how impossible a task is that? I think, you know, a part of it is just trying to look at what ideas resonated with him and, and looking at just the the stew of different ideas, because you, we talk very positively about George Lucas on this podcast and this episode does. And I think we should. But I think a part of that is also recognizing him as a as a human. And sometimes he contradicts himself and sometimes he was like oh that was never the plan oh that was always the plan uh Mm. and i think embracing what he did with star wars is coming at it from a very human perspective and saying here's this laundry list of frankly genius things that he did uh and that he came up with that we can pick and choose from but within that we also have to be open to uh discovery and the possibility of contradiction and just really paying attention to what are the core, core, core ideas that that make something Star Wars because those came from George and we need to respect them. But then within that, also having that sense of play and discovery and expansion. Yeah, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's almost it's this thing of uh, the we always talk about 
Canon and, and me and we love Canon here at, at Force Center. No one should think differently. We love timelines. I, I just watched uh, again Alex's Star Wars Explained new Canon timeline, and I, I love seeing where things fit in. But but to to not hold on to that is, is something we talk about often, and that is a little bit of what I think you might be saying here with Filoni, just like the story, the themes, the lessons. Uh, that's what's in George's brain more than color of lightsabers and who shot who and the what now. Uh, and, and I think I take it as that a little bit. Yeah. I think also the, uh, the thing with Lucas that I've been thinking about a lot is, which kind of gets touched on this episode. I think there's that part of him that is, that is Obi-Wan that wants to be the mentor or Yoda or the armorer. He wants to be the person who is passing on these hard won lessons that are deep and, and fairly universal. But then, there's a part of Lucas in his creation that is still a kid in a movie theater who wants to see spaceships go fast and yeah. that those two things are both really, really crucial to Star Wars. And the fact that they coexist is really crucial to Star Wars. Uh, I like that. Coexist, coexist. This then goes into Bryce Dallas Howard saying, I thought a real interesting statement of that. You know, George always brought in collaborators and understood that characters, uh, specifically characters, meant to expand more than he could even predict. And and my first thought, my first reaction to this, and this leads to an overall question about the Mandalorian. But I was thinking about, I was like, okay, did he do that? And yes, he did. The actors, uh, Gary Kurtz, and uh, the behind the scenes people, Johnston Tippett, uh, even Ralph McQuarrie doing the art. There's a lot of track record of, record of that. A lot of jokes are made about the prequels about. George had a lot of people saying yes around him when maybe some of them should have been saying no. Um, I don't, you know, that might have been, that might be changing in even my mind. I might've been someone who even kind of believed that, especially when you watch some of the documentary, the beginnings, some of that might be there, but I, they're not showing all the conversations. They're not showing, you know, Rick McCallum chomping his gum in George's face over something there. So do how do you feel just about that statement about George and collaborations? Does it work for you? Absolutely. I think that, you know, when you look at even as you were going through the classic trilogy collaborators, you know, you think of how much Han is there in A New Hope, but how much of some of Han's famous lines are, you know, Lawrence Kasdan laying it down in the script in, in Empire, letting Irvin Kirshner kind of loose to to yeah. do Star Wars his way, which is a part of the reason that Empire is as uh, soulful as it is. So I think that's very accurate. I think for me with the prequels, uh, that question of oh this is what happens when you just have a bunch of yes people i'm glad nobody changed george's mind about the deep thematic ideas of the prequels because as yep. feloni illustrates in that speech they are there mm -hmm. but then i can also say it, it's very clear from actions and from things that lucas himself said he wasn't super big on wanting to spend a lot of time with the actors if he if it wasn't a good take he'd use a different version of their hand you know yeah and i think maybe there's that part of me feels like Ah, if someone had been there to say, let's let's work this with the actors a little bit more. Some of the the for me, my few remaining critiques of the prequels are like, yeah, every once in a while, I, I think that actor could have used another take to find more emotional truth in that. Uh, and that's the only time where I think that kind of old nerd argument of somebody else should have been there uh, yeah. resonates with me. Yeah, I mean, I even you know the the uh, Ron Howard directing Phantom Menace story or you know turn it down whatever the the urban legend is and what is true and what is not i don't know but uh that's that, that's still intriguing to me um but i liked 
like Kathy Kennedy said earlier, it's like, you know, he's a storyteller. He's, he is, he's still the guy that likes to get out there. And so late eighties, early nineties, the tech's getting better and yeah, maybe get back out on that playing field. I think he took some big swings and that might be part of like what you're talking about. And you, you go old interviews with Carrie Fisher saying, you know, George doesn't say much. <laughs> <laughs> It's definitely who he is, and he just, I think, was probably more excited and focused on the tech side of it, which is why, again, well, I'm glad they brought it up here. But I want to ask this question here. Now, you know, it's a different era. He sold it. So now, whether he wants to or not, collaborators are, are working with him in a, in, a, in a roundabout sort of way. They're working with his his universe. Uh, about How do we feel about The Mandalorian? Does it successfully tap into George's brain? Well, it does take Star Wars in new areas. How, how are you feeling about Bryce's statement as related to this show? As She is one of those collaborators now. Yeah, I think that is the success of The Mandalorian is that it does tap into uh, crucial core ideas that Lucas implanted in in the DNA of Star Wars, but I think does take them in new directions. Uh, A couple big picture things that really jump out to me, you know, I've described that what I love about Mandalorian is that it's kicking ass for kindness. So you get that fantasy of, you know, what did Boba Fett do? What was he really like? And this is not Boba Fett, you know, but I think it is coming from that perspective, but it is all in the pursuit of learning to be a better person and protecting this kid. So as Filoni talked about a lot, there is so much of star Wars that is based on found family in general, but also found family. So to see that, we, there's so many orphans in Star Wars or so many uh, stories where a child reconnects with a parent. So to see th- that comes feels like to me like the new and the old of, yes, it's about being an orphan. It's about found family. It's about being a parent, but in this incredibly active new way because we're there in the moments of discovery. It's, the, it's an active orphan uh, father story. Very active. <laughs> Very active. Um, yeah, I like that. And and as as you're talking, I'm thinking about, you know, th- this no doubt this show was very well received and very well received by some people who uh, might not have received the sequel trilogy uh, or new era films as well. Even even Solo, which to me captures a, a lot of the vibe. But I wonder if this combination, I just ask it. I don't know this answer, Joseph, of just because Mandalorian was, as we just talked about earlier, around things, you know, hey, that's Tatooine. That's that's the chair Han Solo sat in. Whether or not you like the guy sitting in that chair now, doesn't matter. But that's the chair and everything. So it works in these new things, but maybe you're still focused on, that's an IG droid. That's an Ugnaught. With a sequel trilogy, it sets out to do something different. New worlds, new characters, new places. We think, no no secret here, Force Center, we think it does tap into George's brain and his themes, and you can draw those emotional canon connections. But that uh, Mandalorian, just a little bit more on the surface, looks like what you loved growing up yeah on the surface and then i think underneath that uh, star wars also has always had lots of stories of of being a mentor and the sequel trilogy is dealing with well there's the baggage of our characters who were the main characters in the original trilogy are the mentors in the sequel trilogy and, and there can be a lot of baggage but you take something like mandalorian and you have a classic mentor figure but it's in this brand new package of the armor because she's from a different culture. It is a matriarch in a story where a lot of mentors, uh, you know, besides Leia in the sequel trilogy, have been men. So that's yet, yet another, like, this is a core idea, the idea of mentorship, but it is in this new package. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, Mando isn't wrestling with the kind of classic Skywalker uh, force user 
do I follow the path of the light or the dark? But he's really following that rigid versus flowing organic humanity. He's all about rules. You can't break this Mandalorian rule. You can't break this bounty hunter code. Um, and then he is, uh, you know, uh, uh, confronted by this symbol of humanity and this situation that is flowing and changing in the moment with the child. So you get at that same kind of, he's having the same kind of conflict that Anakin went through, that Luke uh, went through, but it's in this entirely new and different package. Yeah. And it works. It all works. It works. Rick Famuyia comes in here. I love, I love hearing him talk, man. Uh, he talked about being inspired as a child uh, by Star Wars. Something he talked about last week, talked about actually going to go see it early on. But he he said this specifically here. He says, Star Wars, he, he, he's inspired by it. And he chooses the word inspired because Star Wars is a big galaxy. And that the stories he told with his friends, we talked about that playground, Joseph, and being on there at recess, you're this, you're that, let's do a new Star Wars story. I uh, talked about uh, the stories he told with his friends and by himself with his action figures could easily fit into <laughs> that galaxy. Um, in that spirit, I think he said people that came to Mando brought their, he's talking about the directors and everyone involved, brought their own experiences to a universe and a galaxy that can support it, which is one of my favorite kind of ways to look at it. The galaxy can hold all of these visions of what Star Wars is because he specifically said that. A lot of these people directing and writing and telling these stories are inspired by the same thing, but have different visions of what that means. And the galaxy is big enough to contain that. And I, I look at a very just literal interpretation of that, different shows, characters, the diversity of all those new shows and characters and creators, but also just, again, how we experience it when we come in. Are you a Clone Wars kid? Are you a sequel baby? Are you a prequel baby? <laughs> when did you get into Star Wars? And Star Wars is now, maybe more than ever, big enough for all, all that. So let's talk about this, Joseph. Let's talk about how important this idea is for Star Wars growth, particularly from 2012 on and how it needs to be. And, and, and we think it is generally built on this foundation. Yeah. I think there's this idea that if, if you, for me, if you look at just a new hope, uh, you have this massive cocktail of ingredients and that expands out as you go to empire. And if you start with the clone wars, you start with prequels, but just looking at new hope, if it's really about like, let's make sure it's George's vision. There are so many different ideas for you to follow. There's so many different ingredients. And a part of that is what's fascinating to me is to have somebody go, Hey, I saw this in the ingredient that spoke to me is, you know, a guy with a hot rod and his dog <laughs> and yeah. that's Star Wars to me. Or I saw this and it was this young woman who was uh, a political freedom fighter. That's Star Wars to me. And there are so many different uh, ingredients that you can take and go, I'm going to take this away. It's still Star Wars because I got this ingredient from literally the first Star Wars, but mm. I'm going to remix it into something and throw some my own ingredients in, but it's all building off of that foundation. Yeah, I, you know, look, you know, you're talking to someone who's like more pew, 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 give me some ships fighting and walkers stomping, and that's what I was drawn to. And then uh, you, sir, might have been a little bit more drawn to the guys in the robes, the sabers, and the story's <laughs> there, but it's all the same thing. And it, it really, especially on second viewing uh, of this episode, Rick's words got me. I just, I, I, it's something I, I, I say a lot of just, not just for Star Wars, but a lot of times life or the concept of God or anything. It, it, it's big enough for you to have your doubts with it, your struggles with it. And maybe you don't connect with something as much and you go the other direction. 
Um, I think that's valuable and important to remember. And that allows for Star Wars to move forward, for you to be moved by it, but for more people outside of you to be moved by it. And I think that's where we are now more than ever in 2012 and beyond. This is what it needed to do. It wasn't just about, can we get some new characters to market to younger people? No, it's like the, the people making these movies and shows and comics are expanding this galaxy, not just in canon timelines or characters and this happens, but to the generations that are going to keep coming on and to the different generations of people behind it who who had different kind of connections to this franchise. I think they're doing a great job. No secret here, here at Force Center. We're positive, remember. <laughs> I, I really think Familia tapped into part of what I, I love about these last five years of Star Wars for me. Absolutely, absolutely. If it is the hero with a thousand faces, we got a lot of faces left to see. Uh, well said. And, and Pedro Pascal had some good stuff in here to talk about him being moved. I loved him telling the story of staring at the poster to the Jedi and he was, the camera was looking on him and, and uh, from his background and perspective and how he, he connected then and helps bring, uh, bring more uh, um, diversity and points of view and perspective to Star Wars now. It is important. And, and look, I'll say, I'll say plainly, if you hear, if you, if you're the type that hears they're doing a new female centric Star Wars series and that ruffles your feathers, all right, I'm not taking that away from you. But Star Wars is big enough for you to look somewhere else while someone else can be moved by that. And it needs to, and it needs to. And uh, I'm excited that uh, a lot of these people like Rick and, and Pedro and Bryce Dallas Howard are now officially collaborators with the legacy that George built. Beautifully said. Joseph, thank you. We're going to take a quick break as we look at this show. And when we come back, we're going to get into more. And yep, we are working our way up to what y'all want to hear us talk about. The man in the cowboy hat. He hath spoken. And we are going to talk about it. Stick around here on Force Center. The Mandalorian Report will be right back. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash boast. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Four Center fans, don't forget, Four Center is on YouTube. Head over there to catch up with our new show, Star Wars Show and Tell. Joseph, Jennifer, Ken, and special guests sit down and share favorite items from their own Star Wars memorabilia collections. Plus, there's the In Memoriam video series, encore presentations of Databank Brawl, and special programming all there for you, and more shows on the way. It's Four Center on YouTube. Check it out. Welcome back to the Mandalorian Report. This is, I do believe, our 10th episode of the show, the Mandalorian Report. First eight, reviewing the show, discussing the show. Then they released this great series on Disney Plus, All Hail Iger. And it is inspiring us in ways, Joseph, that I, I didn't expect. I keep going back to that. And I was thinking about this during the break, Joseph. I had the same feeling with the show itself, The Mandalorian, by episode two. I was like, wow, okay. 
I, 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 you know, I thought I, I thought I heard some rumors about where the direction the show might go, and it, it seems to be heading that way. But beyond just checklist of ideas, this is grabbing me more emotionally than I expected. So it only makes sense that the behind the scenes series about the show would go the same way, right? Absolutely. I'm really excited to see uh, if it can surprise us anymore, because I really thought this was going to be a technical. I thought this was going to be like maybe eight episodes on. Here's how the volume works. It's really cool. Uh, but now now I don't know what to expect. I think by, you know, uh, episode five of this, it's going to be, you know, Baby Yoda holding the round table or something crazy like that. <laughs> you know, here's what I want. I want episode seven with this eight episodes. Right? I want episode six or seven around the time, like you said, just to be the child and Warner Herzog sitting down for a real life interview. <laughs> Oh, please, please, like basically Sesame Street set yeah. totally in the world of actual Star Wars, where it's just the client <laughs> saying weird philosophical things and the baby blinking at him. <laughs> Let this <laughs> a shared narrative, child. <laughs> uh, asset. Uh, be great. Uh, this episode uh, rolls on here as we talk about George the Inventor. We did talk about this already, the 126 patents, but let's get a little more specific uh, quickly here, Joseph. The table listed some of George and Lucasfilm's biggest technical accomplishments. They started to, at least. Um, Favreau, CGI character, the, the editing uh, software, uh, the motion capture, and then they kind of trailed off after that. Uh, I, I I don't have I don't have the the smarts to know and understand some of the, those type of things, uh, Joseph. Uh, uh, you might, but I do not. But do you have any favorites on or off screen, and any sequences uh, or accomplishments in Star Wars that we love or were drawn to as a child? Yeah, I mean, I think I was just old enough to be cognizant of, uh, you know, I had seen Star Trek, and these are memories that are like are not entirely memories. They're sort of. Uh, uh, it had been reiterated to me that I'd had these conversations, you know, because I was yeah. so young. Um, but discussions of, well, space can never really look that cool because it's you, we don't have the technology. So mm -hmm. just kind of growing up with the idea that those ships swooping through space is something that you couldn't experience that way until Star Wars. I think that will always make mm -hmm. me connect to just seeing the Falcon and X-Wings zip around. And then when I got older and I actually understood, oh, the whole thing was the camera couldn't move in a predictable way and repeat that pattern until Lucas and everybody involved, obviously, mm -hmm. did the motion control. And I think about that one a lot because it's all it's technical, but it's mm -hmm. all about this spirit of freedom to fly around and zip around in surprising ways. And I think that's the technological one that that connects to uh, that spirit of adventure. And when I watch especially the original trilogy and see the Falcon swoop around in a surprising way, and you're like, damn, that's so cool. That's a part of what thrilled people in 1977. Well said. Yeah, you take you see that Falcon taken out of uh, taken off and going out of the Death Star. And sometimes even now I'm just like, I, I believe it is what it is. <laughs> I believe it's a ship leaving a hangar and not a, ca a camera and a studio in Van Nuys. And wow, <laughs> what a great job. Uh, for me, I've talked a lot about, you know, you guys hear me talk a lot. I love biker scouts. I love speeder bikes. A lot of where that comes from. The design is one thing and, and, and the sequence in the movie. That was one of the first sequences that I, at you know, a little year or so after seeing the film, about eight or nine, got the magazines, got them in my hand, picked them out of the little scholastic reader uh, purchase books. Uh, you know, mommy, can I get this one? And just reading and seeing and then some of the early docs of how they put that together. And I, I remember 
you know, with, with a handful of Kenner figures behind me or sit next to me on the couch reading, oh, they took some of the figures you might get in a store and pre-shot some of the stuff. I was I I couldn't believe it. I just was could I couldn't believe that it almost was like, do I have the power to make these films too? Do I have that power? Because they're using what I can get my hands on, and it just it, I connected to that sequence um, in many different ways. And a lot of it was was some of the ways they shot it and how they yeah. did it. Yeah, and that was really powerful for me in this episode to just hear somebody say that. So I believe it was Hal Hickel who said a bunch of things I loved, um, yeah. but to say it so straightforward of when I watched Star Wars and said. I wish I could have a lightsaber like Luke Skywalker. What could I do with that? What, what would that feel like? And somebody like him watched it and said, how can I physically render a lightsaber in the real world as a part of movie magic? But they both get to that sense of being a dreamer, as uh, Rick Famuyiwa described the characters in Star Wars. And, and I really like that idea of like, no matter how you were inspired by Star Wars, at what age or by what, you're, you're kind of a dreamer dreamer i always think star wars is built on daydreams i really do think that love it good stuff there we go on to uh favreau talked about seeing a picture before any trailer and that pulled him into star wars you and i have talked a little bit about our memories of first being exposed to it do you remember the first time we saw something star wars related that you, that you really remember but you you were ready to take a, a big deep dive in yeah, I think uh, some of my earliest memories are all jumbled about and they're, you know, mm -hmm. they're images that I can't quite put into the right um, order of when I saw stuff from A New Hope. But again, being just that little bit older, I remember the first time I saw an image from Empire Strikes Back uh, and it was mm -hmm. a magazine cover of Vader and the Snowtroopers. And that was my first that we get to experience now all the time. That was my first holy, I didn't swear because uh, I didn't know the word yet, sadly. Um, <laughs> But I was like, those are stormtroopers, but not. And there's snow in Star Wars? What the hell? What's this going to be about? <laughs> love it. I love I love too that you talk about back those memories of when it's a little more jumbled, where you don't know. And some of my first concrete runs, uh, uh, concrete ones I've talked about a lot. The, the first trailer I saw at a friend's slumber party or the picture of Luke with the green lightsaber and type of Jabba's uh, palace, all those kind of things I've talked about a lot and are part of, of my answer to this question. But... I want to go back to even before that. I I thought um, Battlestar Galactica was Star Wars. We've mentioned that before. Now George, <laughs> George thought that too, and so did his lawyers. But um, the figures, my uh, my cousins uh, Brian and Brad, uh, uh, who had some of the figures of of Battlestar Galactica, and had Kenner figures, but they had them, the Star Wars figures, but all had them in the same pile. And so oh, I just. Wow kind of, you know, talk about confusing a kid. I was about five or six at this time. What is this? And then at some point, I I, I saw Empire last. My my order is is six, four, five, all within <laughs> a few months. So they all kind of ended up working in my memory as one scene in four, five, six. But I had seen at one point Obi-Wan talking to Luke on Hoth and just mm. being mesmerized by that and confused why that wasn't popping up in the other Star Wars things I'd seen. And how that made me think of there's something else out there. There's something more with this particular character. And I remember asking my mom at grocery stores about Vader and Obi-Wan and everything. And her just kind of, all right, we'll, we'll watch it when we get home. Um, <laughs> that, that was something 
Favreau talked about being pulled into Star Wars by a, a photo before the trailer. This faint, weird memory of Obi-Wan and what he might be in. Is he with Starbuck and Apollo? Or is he with Luke? I don't know. And that pulled me into Star Wars, and it, it was something I... I just wanted to explore more. So it's all, it's in the toys. It's in the pictures. It's in your memory banks. Yeah. Yeah. Johnny Fabs went on to say, this was an interesting little thing. I, I, I wanted to highlight here before we get to some of the deeper stuff. Johnny Fabs uh, talked about all of his kind of movie tastes and pop culture tastes were formed around George's star Wars. And that made me think maybe even beyond what he meant. Cause it is the, it's this modern myth structure, all those kind of things. And, and that's not, just from George, as we know, but the way George built the story, used speed. We talked about speed and and, and uh, the technology. Uh, did you is Star Wars at the center of our entertainment tastes? Does that track for you on any level? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think the only thing for me that was even close to Star Wars was imagery of superheroes. Um, mm-hmm. A little bit from reruns of the Batman '60s TV show, and then from comic books. But I think I was aware of that at a very young age. And again, to kind of place this in time, you know, not only was the actual physical world, uh, you know, a little bit boxy and drab in the late 70s, early 80s uh, television show was you, you turned it on. And it was, you know, a, a guy in a bulky suit in a big sedan driving somewhere and talking <laughs> in a studio, <laughs> you know, and you didn't see anything as fantastic or weird or world building as Star Wars. Maybe superheroes, but if they came on screen, they didn't look like they did in comic books. It's just Captain America with a bike helmet and a flag, and he looked like a dork, and you just had to accept that's the best we'll ever get. Um, and I think being, I think Star Wars can always have that power, but when it first came on in the age that I was, it made me always gravitate towards I want things to be weird. I want them to have their own mythology and I want them to be soulful underneath. And, and I think that's a lot of what this episode brought out is another way to look at why I love Star Wars. It's soulful underneath and then weird and cool on top. And it doesn't look like or feel like anything else except for maybe when Battlestar Galactica briefly ripped it off. <laughs> Wow, man. Yeah, you're, you're tapping into a lot of, of what I'm feeling, man, and saying it better than I can express at this time of just like, this is what I look for in stuff going forward in terms of movies and books and everything. And I and I always say, like, I, I'm not necessarily a sci-fi fan. Just because I love Game of Thrones doesn't mean I'm immediately going to go to something with Wizards and Dragons. It, there's a pull in that sometimes even I can't fully explain. I know when it's there, and I think it does tie to George's Star Wars, to that bigger galaxy. But the simplicity of it, but the coolness of it, the fast speeder bikes of it, but also Luke staring off into the twin suns. And it is, it again, it's modern mythology. We're going to dive into that here in a second. But it, it, hearing John say that and say it in that way, whether he intended this way or not, it really does struck me and, and kind of what you're feeling there, of just like going forward in my life, that's what I look for. I, I talk a lot how I love Robotech, right? Uh, that was there for me of just like, it wasn't just what I was seeing on screen, but it was the relationships, the characters, the histories, the shared universe, but also what it all meant. And that was a series that had a character die very early on in the show. That was new for me. That wasn't what I was getting in GI Joe transformers, you know, until they killed Optimus prime, in the movie. And I cried different story, but, um, <laughs> you know, and that, and that does tie to star Wars. 
that does yeah to me and same thing for me if i really think back like you know i had star trek uh sometimes there were long stretches of my childhood where it just wasn't on wherever we were living it wasn't in syndication so you, you know the uh, i mean it was in syndication but they weren't nobody was choosing to play it uh so i had comic books and i had star wars and then anything else that came out was a great hope that it could be anything as amazing as star wars and he-man offered a little bit of that because that was a fantastic world and i wouldn't have discovered doctor who even though doctor who started before star wars but that when I first tried to give Doctor Who a chance, it was when I learned that it was weird and had a mythology of like, oh, he regenerates and, and turns into different people. So there are different actors and the Doctor's got this collection of enemies and they're bizarre, like nothing you'd see in the real world or on a you know, random episode of network television. And it really clicked for me. This could be another Star Wars. And, and in that way, like Star Wars very literally opened the door for me searching around to say, is there anything else even close to like this? Mm. Yeah. Well said. Well said. And one of these days, I promise you, I'll watch a doctor. Who. <laughs> one of these days, all, right? all right. I'll find a good one for you. <laughs> uh, let's get into this modern mythology and yep. Hero's journey is the main event, but like any good uh, wrestling card, Joseph, sometimes the undercard, the undermatches steal the show for the main event. And this is a section that really moved me. Uh, starting to talk here a lot about what Carl Weathers was getting into. Uh, he talked about his appreciation for Star Wars growing as he studied film, made films himself. Obviously, uh, one of the biggest stars in the action world in the 80s. Uh, I, I love Carl Weathers. He's been around a long time. Apollo Creed, man. And then they then really sandwiched that in with this great moment of, of Taika Waititi talking about the Luke and Loda, Yoda, Loda, that's his, uh, that's his cousin we never met, Luke and Yoda's training sequence in Empire going over his head as a kid. And you know what? That rings true for me as well. But then he grew up and he goes back and it's got his favorite stuff and it's got his lines. And there was a great way he, you know, he, he talks about, uh, you know, not Luke not believing in the lifting the X-Wing, and that's why he fails, and he gets chills, and Bryce Dallas Howard gets chills, and everyone at the table is moved by it. And how many times has that happened with you and I talking about things? I'll get tears in my eyes thinking about Admiral Raddus coming out of hyperspace. <laughs> and it's not about Raddus. It's about the why behind that moment. And so I love that sequence here. I got to ask you, maybe, uh, you know, you're, you're part of the key in my growth, and this part of this podcast is part of that growth. But wh wh how and when did your appreciation of Star Wars start to grow and mature and when you were aware of it? Because Weathers talked about, we, we said it up top, in my early 20s, I wasn't hearing it because I was living it. I'm paraphrasing a bit. Uh, when did this start to change for you? Yeah, I think it was in steps. And, and for me, a lot of it does go back to Yoda's training of Luke in Empire. I was so into Empire and I was so into Yoda. And, you know, I, I just I couldn't have verbalized it at the time, but identified with Luke. I wanted to be Luke. And I was so young. I wanted to get my lightsaber and, and kick ass and I wanted to just go kick Darth Vader's ass. So I think it got into me really young that Yo that I liked Yoda. I loved Yoda. But Yoda was also kind of being this Freudian superego where he was reaching out from the screen and saying, calm down. You can't do that. And like I had to remember having to wrestle at a very young age with the like excitement adventure. But I do want these things. But Yoda says I shouldn't have them. Um, so Yoda was there like kind of as, as this little voice going there's calm down. You want all these things, but maybe you haven't looked at it. Um, it didn't start to unlock to me at all in any real world way. And I've, I've talked about this before in Four Center, so I'll keep it short. But uh, when my dad was teaching me to play the drums. Mm -hmm. My dad said some great, you know, Yoda-like things uh, to me, but it 
was when I realized, okay, when I let go, when I don't obsess on counting out the beats and when I don't obsess on doing it exactly right and feel it when I just let the flow happen, that was the first time for me. It's like, whoa, that stuff in Star Wars is real. <laughs> I, yeah, you've told that story before and I'm, uh, that's, I'd, I'd, I'd listen to it again in full uh, because it's so true and powerful. Uh, so they even just simply, I don't know, memorizing lines or getting up on stage as, as uh, me getting back into stand-up comedy. And sometimes you hold your set list backstage and it's a post-it note or a napkin and it's got little prompts for your jokes and I'll just look at it, look at it, look at it. What's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? And you got to let go and let all of it flow through to you and just give yourself over to the moment and trust yourself and trust what's going on. Um, yeah, to have that come back from Yoda. Yoda's a good stand-up comedy coach. <laughs> He's a great stand-up comedy coach. Yeah, and then everything Carl Weathers was saying, man, I loved the specific. I needed to hear this in my 20s. I didn't, but he touches on a lot. Like, uh, I love a lot of good Star Wars talk, but sometimes it does just stop at, it's about good versus evil. It's about family, and like those are great starting points. But Carl Weathers was starting to get into the stuff that I think I'm more engaged by now because you and I and Jennifer and so many people in the Star Wars community have spent some so much time talking about it of uh, that idea that we are all a part of something much larger than ourselves and what individual power do we have within this larger power and what are you going to do with that and what kind of fears are you holding on to that are holding you back and Carl Weathers just like riffed off all mm. of these things that are really speaking to me now from the great experience of doing this podcast and being a part of this community and i just i wanted to walk up to my screen and like high five carl weathers through the screen because like yeah you and me man that's that's exactly where i am right now hey how excited are you to have him directing one of these episodes next year insanely excited after after hearing that i was excited before because i think he's a great actor and a, a charming person every time I've, I've heard him interviewed but now man i am thrilled so excited yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, episode already already directed, of course, but next season when it comes out, yeah, uh, yeah, he was. Uh, it, uh, Grace was sitting there next to next to me, and she was just like, "Look at Carl, little spiritual boo boo there, just going all in <laughs> on these deep stuff," and it was great. And um, you know, my journey we've we've talked a lot about it here on Force Center different times, and and you know, working with you and and having my point of view changed in some scenes, and and I've talked too about. 2014 Jedi Alliance, me and Maude Garrett just having fun. The intention of Jedi Alliance was to be this fun celebration of Star Wars and little moments and references and sliding on the surface of things. And, you know, we'd make our prequel jokes. And by the way, I'd still probably make some of those jokes. But to have some people, we had a small audience of like 400 people watching and to have some of that audience check in and go, hey, love what you're doing. Hey, but if prequels get me. They moved me. Those are mine. And that was my place in it. And the realizing things, it can't just be my Star Wars journey anymore. I've got to find the connection, got to share and help build uh, everyone's uh, journey uh, forward and, and, and celebrate that. That was a moment. But then going back to 99, I think I've touched upon this a little bit. But I had, I had a roommate at the time who was a history major. And he was also, he loved, he, I'll say, he loved being a little bit of a contrarian. And so when everyone, we all saw Phantom Menace, and everyone started to hate it. He was like, I loved it. And I was like, of course you do. And he laid out <laughs> why. And it was very deep historical stuff that I've re referenced before of, of the British Empire down in, uh, you know, um, Africa f fighting uh, more, more tribal armies and losing. And he, and, and he went, it went over my head. All right. 
Uh, I, I'm the dude you have a beer with. He was the dude that you, you sit in a, a college library with. All right. And, and, and both of us are okay with that, but he laid it all out. And then it, it suddenly, and he, but he was tying it to star Wars and he was tying it to the Phantom Menace and Palpatine and what it meant. And it was one of the first times I was like, I missed all that. And what you're saying makes sense to me. And it made me go back and watch it. I remember being in my aunt and uncle's house. My uncle since passed away. But being over there in Eagle Rock, California, sitting there talking with them, and they were like, hey, we hear the movie isn't that good. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. It's <laughs> and, I, and I regurgitated some of the stuff my roommate said as, as best as I could, but that was the first time. And then, Joseph, I let that get beat out of me. I let yeah. jokes, I let the protagonist, I let all that crap beat it out of me and i regret it because i was i was i was connected to something bigger beyond what i was watching i was connected to the themes that were presented to me and i walked away from it and i go back to that moment and guess what carl weathers is right i was in my early 20s (laughs) i was there I, i i was on my own journey i was in my own pod race and i'm glad we've grown past that i'm glad we at force center can discuss star wars in a silly way by the way but also in a deeper way uh, and, and, and I just go back to that. So anyways, that's part of our journey. Part of Yeah, journey. that's mm-hmm. great. And I think it's a part of a lot of people's journey, uh, that has great rhythm with the, what is on the screen, which is again, why I was so affected, not only by what Carl Weather said and Taika Waititi and, and Deborah Chow and, but mm-hmm. Rick Famuyiwa specifically saying it's always been about dreamers and hot rods, you know, and, and it's about yeah. hope. And I think that can be a battle point for enjoying Star Wars because there's, you know, there's plenty to criticize. There are different uh, points of view, but especially like social media, which can tend toward being, you know, quick drive by negativity. Mm. You can have your, your faith shaken. And sometimes being a fan of Star Wars and believing that there is depth and power to it is a kind of being a dreamer. And it is a kind of, you have to, you know, uh, you have to show up to Exegol. You have to believe and you have to go there and say, I, I did see this. It is true. It does matter. Other people are going to, you know, frankly laugh at me and, and say what you thought was there was not there. It's a bad movie. The acting was stiff, you know, or the or there was, there was this plot hole. And you have to hold on to that spirit of being a dreamer. You have to believe. Yeah. The amount of times uh, I know you have heard it. I, I definitely know you heard it with the amount of times, even the last couple of years that I've heard from friends of mine. You, you can't possibly like the prequels, right? <laughs> I, I hear, I hear tell you do, and it's a fun, not challenge, not like I'm. I, I don't want to debate. I'm never going to take any. I'm not going to push anyone off their own mountain. You want to have that opinion of Star Wars or something, but I, now I think I want. I'll clip out Carl Weathers' speech. I'll just say here. Here's my statement on it. <laughs> I do love the prequels. Yeah. And I love to make fun of them. I love to joke about them. I love to say Dexter Diner is the greatest character. Dexter and De- Jetster and his diner is the greatest scene and character ever. I love all that. But um, what I love more than anything is what is there in the connections. And out of the sequence, Joseph, uh, and it was Carl Weathers is great. Ty- Tyke is great. I love hearing him be moved by the Yoda sequence. Deborah Chow says, you know, start, connects what she put in her second episode, uh, episode seven. She talked about the challenge of capturing the spirit uh, paraphrasing a little bit here, but capturing the spirit of the Yoda Luke training sequence with the Quill reprogramming IG-11. You and I both really love that scene. I, I call it absolutely, I want to speak for you here, but jump in. I call that the heart of the season is that beautiful poetic uh, reprogramming of one uh, one's ways, one's hardwiring and who we think we are. I, I really think that makes the entire season work. 
how do we think, how do we feel about Deborah Chow talking about that? Does it capture that spirit for us? And why did it resonate so much with us? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I think all of these uh, themes and ideas that are bubbling uh, along in The Mandalorian kind of all get tied up in this neat bow of that scene. So I, I absolutely agree with you that it is the heart of the big ideas of the first season of Mandalorian. For me, I think it resonates for a couple of reasons for what they were talking about on the show is that they were having both a sense of depth and a sense of humor about Deborah Chow saying like, I wanted to get to that depth and that poetry, but it's a droid and a pig man, you know? Uh, and it's silly, right? And that is the magic of star Wars is yeah. On the surface, they're weirdos. They're outsiders. There's some, there's something that you shouldn't take seriously. It's, you know, dumb paperback adventure serial, not serious characters, but it is, it's both at the same time. It is the, the fun and the weirdness and the humor. And there's purposeful humor in that scene of him, you know, dropping, uh, IG 11, dropping the crate at the wrong time. And, and there's the, almost the real world humor of, and this is Nick Nolte and he's an Ugnot. But that is the essence of Star Wars that this episode celebrated so much is uh, weird, funny, cool on the surface and deeply soulful in the heart. And that's what was going on in this scene. And that's before we even get to the actual lessons of what was being told in this scene. Yeah. Yeah. I love when they talked about. Yeah. Yeah. You got a droid. You got a pig man. Ugnot, as you said. Uh, and, And that's why, to me, I think she just really focus down on it. And, and I think Favre did a great job to explain a little bit of just this, you know, this, you, you get this beautiful, just kind of poetic moment. I, I forget the exact words used to describe it. Um, and I'm, I'm very happy that they as a team and he as a showrunner, executive producer, whatever is realized that and took the time with that scene because the show does move fast. She was talking about her third, her, the third episode, the first one she directed. It, it's the shootout episode. It's this, it's that. I knew I had that. As we said, she said last week, I do love killing stormtroopers. <laughs> this moment, uh, I could just watch that sequence. It's it's beautiful. Nolte's voice, uh, you know, uh, to the, uh, uh, you know, the whole uh, team that helped create Quill. He really brings it home for me, though. Just his voice works for me, and I, I could I could hear that speech on a loop. Yeah, yeah. And, and then uh, we've talked about that actual scene, but just in the context of what's being discussed in this episode of Disney Gallery yeah. about reaching down into the soul of what Luke has created and finding new ways to approach it. I think that's a part of the magic because this idea, uh, which in The Mandalorian is, can you change your programming, uh, literally for droid, but then for Mandalorian, does that mean he can change his programming of 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 judging droids can he change his idea of what it means to be a mandalorian can he change his idea of what it means to be uh, a bounty hunter and that big question of can you change that feels like unique to mandalorian but it is also a a different shade of the classic you know destiny is going to walk you to this moment of choice and then you have to choose who you want to be and why so it approaches it in a new way but it is absolutely still the heart of what we've seen characters wrestle with. Like it's Han changing his programming yeah. at the end of a new hope, right? Going back to the very beginning. So I love the combination of the new and the old in the message of that scene. And look, if she could pull that out of a, of a droid stepping on a space lizard and quill nearby, imagine what she could do with someone as deep as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oof. 
uh, let's hope that all works out. I know some people uh, in my Twitch stream this week concerned about the rewrites or whatever they're hearing. Don't worry about that. Let the force take over. Deborah Chow. <laughs> yeah, Kenobi now. Uh, all right, here we go. We've reached the hero's journey. The man with a cowboy hat clears his throat and he's got some stuff to say. And yeah, look, I'll start here. I love everything he says here. I love a lot of what Dave says over Star Wars. I joke sometimes about uh, space whales and all those kind of things. He learned from George. He still talks to George. He has a good understanding of what it all is. So uh, I don't just maybe it's weird. I, I just feel sometimes I've, I want to honestly discuss some of my feelings towards Dave Filoni because in this weird time, it can get it can get weird. And sometimes I'm a grumpy guy. And sometimes the unilateral praise of this man and he should take over Kathy's job gets me angry, angry and takes away the focus from the stuff that he does know and, and, and have a handle on, you know, you know, you does that make any sense? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I think it is a, for me, it is a big cultural thing of, I think artists and creators, in my opinion, should be celebrated for their work. Um, but because we, we do want heroes, sometimes we kind of hero worship or deify uh, celebrities. And for those of in, us in the Star Wars all-in community, Filoni's a, a celebrity. And I think sometimes the, those kinds of, for me, I get a little bit off-put about the way we praise him. And I want to praise him as a creator. I want to praise him as a flawed human like we all are. But I do get uncomfortable with the just kind of cultural, like, you know, t-shirts that would say like Floney is our God now, or, you know, Floney is my master now. And like, I, I know they come from a sense of humor, but I think they can add up to, um, when, like you're saying this idea that he should take over everything cause he's the only one who knows anything. And he, there can be this kind of baggage around him that isn't him. And that's what I'm really enjoying about this is getting to see the human, uh, the nerd. And I mean that in the most positive way, cause I'm a nerd too. And the creator. And I that's I want to celebrate him as a human and the great work that he's created. I don't want to get into the kind of weird cult of personality um, mm -hmm. thing because I, I think it can be it's a fine line between celebrating uh, the work of somebody and kind of putting them on a on a pedestal as though they are not a human being. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And my, maybe my final little uh, pre preamble note on this is, is I'll just say this. I'll say it. I'll say it. I put it on the stream so someone can clip it out and, and throw it in my face, Joseph. I do think a lot of the people who are pounding their fists about this guy should be in charge of everything, which, by the way, is a different job running a movie studio versus what he might be able to do. Yeah, if he's in charge of stories going forward, I've always said that's something I'd be interested in. Um, I think a lot of those people pounding their fists on the desks don't even see Star Wars the way Dave sees it. And yeah, if they were to sit down with Dave and Dave was to hear them talk, he might be like, you're looking at this wrong. You're looking at Star Wars wrongs and maybe even arrogant thing for, to, to even put out there that there's wrong ways to watch it. But you know what I mean? Like I hear him talk and it's beautiful. It's a beautiful understanding of Star Wars. I hear some other people talk about why you should take over. And I'm like, I don't think you understand how he sees Star Wars. <laughs> But that's just me. That's just me, Joseph Scrimshaw. That's just me. No, I understand. I understand. You, you can get into the weeds uh, really quickly. We want to respect everybody's opinions, you, you know, but also we have our personal takes on what Star Wars means and what, what Lucas means. And we want to be open like Jedi. You would want to have absolutes, but we also still want to, you know, sometimes fight for what you believe in. And for me, I think 
you know, you read the, the Art of Star Wars book and you see that there, that Filoni's involved in big discussions. You know, he might not be able to have the final creative say, but I think of something that I don't like, like Trevorrow's, um, in, in Trevorrow's scripts uh, for Duel of the Fates, his take that the great answer to the the mystery of when and how a Jedi should act and what is balancing the force is that sometimes you give into rage and just brutally kick someone's ass and that's balance. I kind of imagine the felony that I see on this show going, it's not my final decision, but I really don't think that's what George ever meant by balancing the force, you know? And yeah. I, to me, it makes me feel like I think Filoni does maybe have a little bit more creative sway on the real big picture core ideas of Star Wars than, you know, we're aware of on every beat of every decision. Yeah, but hey, like we always say here, we don't get too caught up on behind the scenes office politics of Lucasfilm, but I agree with her. But let's celebrate what he said. Let's dive into what he said. He said a few things here. This might be a little bit of a repeat beat here, but we can touch upon it. He started this whole thing talking about the prequels. And, and he, I thought he was pretty honest on how the prequels didn't live, couldn't live up to our expectations. It was an impossible task. We've talked about that a lot and how um, that's part of George's creative genius is we all thought, Specifically, like Dave said, oh, this is what a Jedi Council looks like. This is what we all thought about Anakin before. We all had those thoughts. And George was like, great. But here's my thoughts on it. I'm going to stick with that. I thought, first of all, I mean, we've heard that kind of talking about before, Joseph. But I, I thought that was uh, interesting to, to really hear his, a bit of his journey. Oh, yeah. And he's clearly like a fan because the previous episode, he's talking about being super psyched to, to be in the line for Revenge of the Sith. Though, So even if he had problems with prequels back in the day, he was clearly still all in when he got hired. Uh, but yeah, I think it was really great for him to address that. And again, it, it I always liked the prequels and I think I had uh, a hard time... Um, you know, there's the back and forth. I, I loved the parts that I loved and I found myself continuing to think about them. Um, but felt that pressure from the outside that I, you know, I, maybe I'm overanalyzing and it's great to hear him kind of go through that journey too, of saying, uh, people had all these preconceived notions going into the prequels, but George stayed true to his vision of what he thought this story was. And that's why we should go into as many Star Wars stories as we can and put that baggage down and go, Hey, I got all these opinions about Boba Fett but I'm just going to check my baggage and see what they have to say and really listen. And, and I like that that's how this uh, epic monologue from Filoni started off with the uh, mm -hmm. sort of check your, your baggage at the door and listen to the story that the creator is telling you for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. And I always, I'm always fascinated with the fact that Favreau at Celebration, I've mentioned it before. I'm going to mention it again. Uh, and I'm talking not just this episode going forward, just at, at Celebration, he was like, he was like, I don't like them prequels. Dave's trying to try, not not succeed, trying to get me to like them. Is that what he said at Celebration, right? And someone can pull yeah. the quote, whatever. But that's the spirit of it. Um, so how do, how do we feel the modern Star Wars has, has continued to, to tell these stories in that spirit of we got expectations, but here's the story. Um, opinions aside, people have different opinions, but how do we think uh, they've approached it? Because it's hard. It's no longer one vision. They have to take several visions and 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 take it to this one vision from this man. Uh, we we enjoy this stuff, but how do you feel they, they've approached that? Yeah, I mean, I go back to I think it's on the um, the the director in the Jedi doc of Kathleen Kennedy saying when we look at what made Star Wars successful, we can list all of these things, but a, a huge part of it is. George Lucas was basically an independent filmmaker who was making his vision that came from a 
from deeply personal roots. Um, uh, Filoni even saying in this episode, uh, uh, there's a part of Luke is in Luke Skywalker in Anakin Skywalker. And I love that Ken- that Kathleen Kennedy said, we are looking for people who have something to say that comes from a deeply personal place. And that's one of the reasons that I continue to be satisfied uh, and happy with not, not only her amazing resume and her experience on the business side, but that approach of, yes, we want you to respect the vision, but what of yourself can you bring? Um, I think Ryan Johnson is on record saying that Last Jedi is a very personal film. And you, you look at that and you realize if you want to extrapolate out, well, uh, I'm not trying to answer these questions, but Ryan Johnson, if you look at the themes of Last Jedi, you have to say, well, Ryan Johnson has probably wrestled at some point in his life of how can you forgive yourself for failure and is it better to present yourself in a totally truthful honest way with all your human flaws or is it okay to let people mythologize you do you do you need to see the flaws in everything or can sometimes you just be inspired by something like all those ideas are clearly personal to him and they that's what makes the last jedi rich Mm. and i'll say the same things for for abrams particularly in rise of skywalker hope uh, you know, kindness, found family, those things clearly resonate with him as a human. And so they, they come across human and powerful in the films. Well said, well said. I, I don't think I can tag too much more on, onto that. Uh, so I won't also, we'll be here all day if we don't. <laughs> so, uh, three parts, uh, kind of coming down here. Dave Filoni then goes into this big moment, this big speech that you're right. They chose to put in, right? They, this goes on. You see the cameraman. There's this one shot that's kind of above and you see this cameraman kind of behind Dave. I swear one of them kind of looks like we, we're just, we're just still going. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> Well, he talked about the why of the duel of the fates, and let's just not discuss. Uh, well, well, we can discuss the insight here first. I want to talk about Joseph. Uh, um, uh, great stuff about the fight and why it is called the duel of the fates. How did you feel about what he said about the uh, Qui Gon Obi Wan Darth Maul cool lightsaber fight? Yeah, I always loved it. Uh, the the fight for lots of different reasons, uh, but I really love what Filoni was saying here. I think I have thought a lot about it as the reemergence of the Sith and what does that mean to the galaxy and uh, and been moved by um, Anakin seeing Maul very briefly and thinking about how, how did he internalize that? What did he feel? All these things kind of around that area. But I think the thing that really uh, hit home for me is I've had this discussion with friends going back to when Phantom Menace came out of like Qui-Gon was a cool character, but what's the point? It should have just been Obi-Wan and, you know, everybody got into rewriting the film the way that they had preconceived it after years of thinking about Obi-Wan training Anakin. And then there's this new idea and it's just, and people didn't, a lot of people didn't stop to consider it. They just said, it's wrong. He shouldn't have been there. Mm -hmm. And I remember always being on the page of, yeah, but think about what it did to Anakin that, he that moment where he's alone at the funeral and, and is like you what's happening to me now and everyone's like well i'm gonna train you and thinking of how much more isolated uh it made anakin feel mm. so i was really happy to hear that um but i really appreciated the larger picture that feloni added here about this uh idea of fatherhood i always thought about the loss of warmth and kindness and flexibility and understanding that Qui-Gon was clearly going to have, but really pinpointing it to it is a story of a lost parent uh, Mm -hmm. was really powerful. Yeah. uh, Well, yeah. Well said stuff there. 
Joseph, about uh, the conversation around the fight. And, and, and look, it is. And, and I think Dave touched upon a little bit later with his X-Wing comment and everything. Just like, yeah, that's a damn cool fight. It is a damn cool fight. It's the cool moves and all this. And it's the best. A lot of people say it's the best. But, I, you know, I, I've talked, I, I'd rather watch the uh, Obi-Wan Maul Rebels fight again and again and again, which lasts two seconds because it jumped out to me. But I loved going back to this one. I've always, I think I've, I've focused a lot on Obi-Wan's view of the fight and the lessons there for him, uh, knowing that it definitely ties into Vader. I love that you highlighted the moment because it's shot. I really like how it's shot too of of Anakin at the end is he's watching Qui-Gon burn. By the way, I don't want to stand around someone watching burn, though Luke does it with him in Jedi. There's a, there's some more poetry, right? Uh so uh I it's definitely the connection. I think Anakin uh, the the cold, the cold sir. I feel cold sir. At the end of Phantom Menace He's alone and cold, right? Um, so that's all there for me. But I, I did just love hearing more than anything, more than what the fight means to Dave or what he felt George was saying with the fight. It definitely works for me in the Duel of Fates level. Is hey, the connections are there. <laughs> There's these through lines. And that got me excited. It got me excited and moved me hearing it, Joseph, described on this big level, which is kind of the next thing I wanted to talk about. People really reacted to this. You mentioned being spoiled, and I was too. And by the way, if it, if you felt like, oh, crap, I posted something in Discord and tagged Ken too soon, or don't worry. Don't worry about it. But I saw people's passion for this moment in the show bubbling over very early on. And Joseph, that kind of excites me. Did it excite you to see people just get in, just it just feel engaged into hearing Star Wars described on this base level that's also wonderfully complex? Yeah, it made me so, so happy to see people uh, engaged by it, um, partially because it's the way that we like to talk about Star Wars. We we want to talk about the the silly fun stuff and the weird stuff and the cool stuff and the action adventure and the, the zip zap of it. That's a huge part of it. But what we clearly are, are drawn to in a lot of our discussions is these themes and these connections and Sometimes there can be, um, not in our Star Wars community, but people I talk to kind of who are, who are fans, but don't go, don't spend as much time on the themes of like, are you, are you reading stuff into it that's not there? And it made me very happy personally to see um, one of the key creators of Star Wars right now really invested at that level. And then more importantly, to see a lot of people reacting of like, Oh, cool. It's really awesome to think of Star Wars this way. It's really awesome to dive uh, deep and make those connections. Yeah, I, it's funny. Uh, you, you mentioned that I had an off off air incident uh, at an old web web company I work for where I was just someone just plainly said that I, I think you you find things that aren't there and you put them in there. And Look, we can all, even Dave talked about, even George, they talked about George having, he creates figure uh, characters and then it's the story goes beyond where he even predicted. Dave's talked about, I don't answer all the questions. I'll let you figure it out. That's part of the value of this, by the way, because then you can interpret it in different ways. Again, I talk about the Duel of the Fates fight. I absolutely know this connects to Anakin's story. I've always really been drawn to Obi-Wan's point of view of that fight, you know, and what it means. So um, I, I, I did hear that one time and it was particularly about the movie Solo. And I think Solo, to me, Joseph, uh, of all the new films, it's the one I think just gets glossed over because it is on the surface. It is a fun adventure, and it doesn't have the big tick and talk, and the Death Star is going to destroy everybody. I understand all that. 
And maybe that why it didn't hit as big as, uh, you know, among many reasons, but one of the reasons it didn't hit big. I still think that's one of the movies. I hope people who are excited by what Filoni is saying, but haven't looked at Star Wars in that way too much. Go back to Solo. Yeah. <laughs> Seen some it's, of the stuff it, connecting there. It's about found family. It's about systemic poverty. It is about so it's about why people fall into crime. It is about so much and it connects to so much. And I think uh, this is one of the other things that I wanted to touch on real quick in, in yeah. this uh, part of our conversation about the uh, fan reaction to this and what Filoni said. I loved that Filoni said um, we, we focus a lot on how we decorate Star Wars. And again, I don't want to diminish that. And he said the same thing, you know, the X-Wings and the lightsabers and the cool uh, fights. That is a huge part of the magic of Star Wars and no one wants to diminish it. But it seems like there's almost this uh, element of a gift because that's one of the things that makes Star Wars beautiful, but also a curse because it stops people from looking uh, at the rest of it. And I think that's what I was affected by by part of this is some of what Filoni said, connecting themes of uh, fatherhood and attachment and loss are across the whole saga are pretty deep. Mm. Other elements are explicitly right there on the screen and not hard to see or find if you're willing to look for them. Mm. Uh, what we're talking about of how Anakin felt because he lost Qui-Gon and how Obi-Wan was not super respectful of Anakin and at first just kind of thought he was like, who's this weirdo we picked up? Okay. Uh, but then you learn, learn to care for him as a brother. That stuff is explicitly in the film. It's what's happening. But if we view Star Wars as it can't be that serious because it's there's a weird lizard and it's driving a car and something exploded. Got it. It was zip zoom. zoom. It was fun if we're not willing to, to look at this other side of it, we'll miss so much. And, and I, more than anything, I hope that's what it is. Because I don't think what Filoni, what Filoni said was beautiful and inspiring, and he has a view that, that few people have, having worked directly with Lucas. But at the same time, what he was saying was not esoteric. It's something that we all have the keys to if we choose to watch the films in those ways. We... <laughs> Well said. Well said is the title of my episode. With <laughs> you have those keys. You're in the car. How are you going to drive it? How are you going to drive it? Yeah. Um. And and all of it. You know. As you're talking here, hold on. I'm moving away from my. You know. I got in my hand the little uh, tiny mini Funko Pop of Zori Bliss, and you all have heard if you listen to me in Force Center. Yep. Like Zori, I love Carrie Russell's performer, and I make jokes about. I have some adult feelings about Zori, but she's got a great design. Everything. That's not where it stops for me. It could. It could. It's the decoration. That scene, when she lifts up her visor, when Oscar Isaac explains in the documentary, there's something powerful about someone from your past knowing who you really are at your core. That's what there is there for me. It's all there. A cool character with a cool gun and a mask, with a great performer playing this character, but it's nothing without that moment of that connection and her drawing upon that connection with Poe and that's how I choose to drive my Star Wars car. Right, right. You can look at Zori Bliss and, and like you said, just stop on the surface or, or you can be uh, upset uh, about, you know, various ideas of, hey, the movie could have gone this way or that way. But you look at just what's the story? It's somebody who clearly cared about Poe that Poe walked away from and she starts so angry. And then just a little bit of time with Poe in this incredibly heated, uh, you know, situation, this tragic situation. And 
what is it in Zori Bliss that makes her lift that visor in Carrie Russell's amazing delivery of want to come with me? How did she go from you betrayed me and I hate you and I should put your brains in the snow to want to come with me? That's the character. That's the story. Yeah. And it's all there. And that's why, yeah, again, I, I saw it all week and I saw it in the Discord server. So a lot of our Force Center listeners, you know, are in sync with the way we love talking about Star Wars. And I love sometimes not getting it right or having open-ended thoughts on what does this might mean? Uh, you know, I love art being interpreted. That's why the, the end of Clone Wars really works for me because I don't want to know the timeline. I don't want to know where exactly on Canon Vader found that light. I don't want that. That's not there. That's not the piece of art hanging on my wall right now with that scene, but it's fun to discuss it. But I was really excited to see that this kind of conversation, this kind of way of looking at star Wars was blowing people's minds. Uh, that that itself moved me maybe even more than the speech because I've 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 been I've heard Dave talk. You've heard Dave talk. I love the way he talks about stars. I keep saying that. I think he was really great understanding on it uh, of it. But that understanding, as Joseph kind of said, with better with the key stick analogy, <laughs> that understanding is there if you want it. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. And and I and I don't. Yeah, I, and I I also as we want to do here on Force Center, focus on the positive. You know, I heard from at least one fan that I know, or not fan, excuse me, one friend who is a fan of Star Wars who wrestles with a lot of it, and a lot of times there can be negativity, and sent me that clip because he wanted to be sure that I saw it, and it seemed like maybe it, it was helping him see things in a new way. And it, man, I'm so so happy for that. Anything that unlocks new ways to enjoy Star Wars, I think, is just a gift. Absolutely. And, and and you know what? I'm still going to rank my favorite Death Trooper weapons. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it all is there. It is all there. And that's part of the growth, though. That's part of what Carl Weathers was talking about, why I think that Carl Weathers speech might be part of the heart of this episode of The Mandalorian Show. It is talking about the, the growth, maturity, seeing things, the spirituality of it all. It, it's a big speech. Go back and watch that speech uh, while you're queuing up the day speech, which is great. And hey, look, Filoni's speech... Kind of, uh, Joseph, all led to this idea and this whole episode, this whole episode led because it when it popped up on my not uh, hearing the hearing the tweets or seeing the, seeing the tweets and the discord postings about Filoni's speech and then seeing the episode was called Legacy. I was like, OK, OK, I kind of had this expectation of where it was going. But this this I don't know. Legacy. I get it. It was it was a good title, but 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 it's a different kind of legacy. Uh, they talk about the creative, the technical all those things. But this legacy. The Dave speech led to saying Star Wars is an adventure that makes you feel good and is about hope. And then and then Dave kind of says almost a little, a little emotionally that when he talks to George, George says, remember to make these stories hopeful. Remember to give that to kids because they really need it. Oh, man, that's the heart of a lot of things in Star Wars. Not necessarily about the kids, but the kids and all of us. Let's talk about this, Joseph. Why, why is this key and powerful and why do we feel so? Yeah. Well, first, I I really like how Filoni's speech led up to this moment because he he shared these great insights into Phantom Menace, a, a film that we criticize more, but then really all in the in the uh, effort to link it back to remember that Luke won by being brave enough to just love his father, and mm -hmm. his father saved him by being selfless in response. So I think it was great that he didn't just tack on like. Here's a bunch of insights. And then also remember hope like, but he told you about why Lucas's star Wars is built on kindness and hope is the ultimate message. Uh, so I really love that. He didn't 
just say it as a platitude, but the story was there to illustrate uh, how hope is such a huge part of Star Wars. And I think that idea of being hopeful for me uh, resonates because there is a temptation to fall into the trap that uh, that Yoda's talking about with Luke. One, one of Yoda's lines in Dagobah that always sticks with me is, always with you it cannot be done. Mm-hmm. And there is a temptation not just to anger or fear that, that Star Wars warns us about. There's a real temptation towards just cynicism, to mm-hmm. just that's the way the world is. Nothing's ever going to change. You can't do anything about that. It's easy to feel that way. There's so many challenges in the world and it's so hard to have hope and belief that you have power and that your choices might be able to change the world, sometimes much less change your own situation in life. I fight with that cynicism every day of why is it worth doing this thing I, I do? I can't see immediately this direct thing that I can do. I'm not a Jedi. I can't reach out and just push back literally on the world and have it fly back, you know, and have, have an immediate response to my power. And what I think these themes of hope is uh, are about is pushing back against the cynicism and saying you do have power. Maybe you won't see immediately how your choices make a difference, but please try to believe that they will. Please try to believe that you matter, that you have power. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that Dave, I, I didn't write it down. So this is going to be kind of a, a paraphrase more than anything. He kind of addressed of, um, you know, one of the most direct parts of his little uh, speech here, directly, uh, directly addressing like, and people wanted Anakin to be more darker. And I no, no, And that, this is why, you know, it kind of ties into uh, that. And, and uh, I don't know, I don't know, man. I, it just, um, yeah, I, I like Rogue One cause it's boots on the ground and it's violent. And by the way, Anakin and <laughs> Anakin and Vader have some dark moments. <laughs> yes, they do. Yes, they do. Mr. We got some moments that are dark uh, with Vader. Um, but I I like that uh, Star Wars stays Star Wars, if that makes sense. I love that Star Wars, as much as I love Nolan taking Batman and going in more of a, you know, Frank Miller direction and not pow, zoom, zang. I really love that. But Star Wars stays itself it is it is timeless for a reason and a lot of it is is that that mission statement this is the modern myth it is about the hero's journey it is about you stepping out into adulthood and and i i'm glad that we have to grow it to understand that that star wars doesn't grow with us into some oh you had a three-year uh a, a dark phase uh, it is, uh star wars will have a goth goth phase with you <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't mean Star Wars can't have some genre and, and, and do some horror, do some Westerns. I'm not saying that. Or that forbidden romance I was talking about a couple weeks ago on, on the main show. I like that Star Wars remains this. And then we can either connect to that or not. And it's fun. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought up the Vader hallway because we talked about it recently on our Enjoying the Evil episode. But that's such a great, um, great example of it would be easy to look at Rogue One and go, yeah, all the main characters die um they they succeed in their mission and then it ends on us kind of celebrating vader killing people it's like dark things happen truly dark things happen but with all of vader's power in that hallway yeah he can he can slaughter those people but the end of that movie is he couldn't get his hands on the hope he couldn't kill the hope that our Mm -hmm. characters fought for so even though dark brutal challenging things happen 
the hope doesn't die, that optimism and the light doesn't die. And I think that's what's what Filoni is talking about uh, Lucas's vision continuing to be. And one of my final well said, sirs, the little <laughs> image of, of Vader can't everything he's doing. He can't get a hold of the hope. It ain't there. Ah, good stuff, sir. Good stuff. Great discussion. We're not quite done. A couple more stuff here. There's a couple more uh, questions here. Uh, Tasker, I, I, I want to see your opinion on this. You uh, said last week, Joseph, uh, this, this whole uh, last week's episode specifically, I'm not going to necessarily sign it to this week's, but was uh, in a positive way. You meant kind of like almost commercial. They're choosing. Uh, and it worked for me. I said, yeah, if it's commercial, I'm now buying Taika Waititi. I, I already <laughs> was, but now I'm buying two add to carts of Taika Waititi and Star Wars. This episode was unabashedly focused on George Lucas. Any thoughts on that? Any thoughts on this as a commercial for George from modern canon, modern Star Wars, modern Lucasfilm? Yeah. I mean, I think it was great because it had so many uh, well-deserved compliments to lay at George Lucas's feet. I think as if you look at these uh, episodes is elaborate, entertaining press releases. I mean, they just let Filoni uh, let out a speech that is reverberating around the Internet about the power of the depth of Star Wars and looking, you know, beneath the surface. So great job. But the Lucas thing in particular, I felt like it was so balanced because the front half of this was really loaded with, here's why we love George Lucas. He created what is basically an amazing playground. Mm. And now we all get to play in it and we get to add on to it. Uh, so it was on one, uh, on one hand, extremely complimentary of Lucas as he deserves, but it wasn't limiting to anybody else's creativity or any uh, current or future Star Wars creators right to play in the wonderful galaxy, the wonderful playground that he created. Okay. Yeah. Well said. That's my final well said. <laughs> no, yeah. Uh, that's, and it flowed. And, and again, you know, yeah, I watched, I was, I had a drink in hand. It was later on a Friday night uh, on a busy weekend getting to refocus on this episode last night to see how well it flowed. It was really constructed. Well, you know, putting together documentaries ain't, ain't, ain't easy. I, I, I can't necessarily do it. Um, but I learned a lot. I, I wrote that five part docu series podcast on, on, on the rock and Steve Austin, putting it together. What beats of their lives lead to the story? What beats of star Wars led it? And, and they, this episode is really well written. It's really well put together. Uh, and they, and they did a good job of highlighting it there. Uh, I do have one uh, silly question for, for you, Joseph. Um, how much money would you pay to ride one of the partial blurgs? <laughs> that was amazing. That was one of the great behind the scenes things, right? To see the partial blurg riding. Uh, I would pay 2000 now and another 1500 when we get to Aldron for sure to ride a blurg. That's the correct answer. That's the correct answer. We're almost out of here. Joseph, any final, sh uh, final thoughts on Disney gallery, colon, Star Wars, the Mandalorian, colon, legacy. Uh, yeah, no, just a, a couple quick things. This is so good. Uh, I, I just, there, there was so much personality from everyone involved. Uh, Hal Hickel, I loved that story he told about seeing King Kong on television and not liking the treatment of King Kong. So sending a long letter yeah, <laughs> to yeah. the television station and holding them responsible. That was just a, such a beautiful, human, hilarious moment. Uh, absolutely loved that. Um, and then just uh, this is my final thing to say about the epic Filoni speech uh, is... 
when my wife and I stopped watching, we kind of had this conversation about how much of a speech it was. And, you know, it wasn't a conversation. It was this epic speech and how that played or not uh, when this was kind of the round table. And I think for me, uh, hypocritically, I guess, not hypocritically, self-indulgently, I feel like sometimes to connect the big ideas of Star Wars, it takes a minute because you want to lay out exactly what you're talking about. And I know uh, that I go on sometimes on Force Center, and I, I, at least once this episode I said, I'll say that real quick and then talk for two minutes straight. Uh, and I, I am aware of the danger of that. Mm. But I, I think it just also made me feel good to just go, we, we can sometimes just say, yeah, hey, it's about family, it's about hope. And if it stops there, that's true. But sometimes there's value in really allowing a creator to make all of those connections and that talking about Star Wars in a complex, thoughtful way and taking the time to connect A to C actually really does matter. And I just am really grateful that they made that choice with this episode of this show. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, I was kind of blown away that uh, they, they not, not let Dave go. It, it just was like, Think about what think about what you this whole show like. All right, cool. We're getting a round table. Favre, you're going to cut everyone off. We'll tell their stories. It's good. And then in this moment, you can see everyone in the room just kind of shifting and taking it in, and and it and was powerful. And and we've been there. Not that not putting myself on level, Dave. Not, not putting you on level, Dave. Joseph. Uh, I mean, I would, but I'm not going to do that for you now. No, no. He's uh, he's, he's <laughs> got you unique experience and insights. But I, I've been I've been a guest on podcasts. Hey, Ken, you want to come on shows talk about Star Wars? We talk and we talk we talk, and then I'll get in to let me tell you why Infant's Nest is important. Not because I'm finger-wagging or lecturing, but holy crap, I want you to experience this with me. It's this great thing, and here's why, and here's what it means, and here's why she's the face of the new rebellion to me. Da, 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 da. And and I have that moment to kind of Dave at the end, like, did I, did I just bring everyone down? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And so... You and I talked about last week about being very protective about Dave when the skipper to Dave's Gilligan kind of, you know, that kind of thing. Well, actually, skipper would protect Gilligan, but Favreau kind of the deep cut kind of thing that you and I really, you know, analyzed almost, you know, <laughs> much. But um, our friend Mark Riley, by the way, he texted me and, and not having hear, heard our episode was like, did, did, did you think Favreau was kind of? I said, yep, yep, I did. <laughs> but to experience uh, Dave as a fan and and but that is. And not just like, yeah, he had posters on his wall, but to that he crawled into this franchise with a lot of us and and just kind of experiences it on this level. It was moving. It was exciting for Star Wars going forward with people reacting to it. And, and I thought that was um, a big takeaway from this episode here. Absolutely. So, well said, Ken. Well said. Oh, hey. um, <laughs> That's to you. I got one. I got one question for you. Uh, and then uh, uh, so. Do you like that we didn't see what actually instigated Filoni's speech? Because it could have been, we didn't actually hear the question. It could have been, can you tell me about attachment in Star Wars? Or, you know, can you tell me how the prequels connect to, you know, or can you talk about hope? Why does hope matter? Or it could have been like, uh, Dave, do you want a ham sandwich? And he just went, you know, we don't know what it was that started him. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stoke the gossip flames. By the way, I know nothing about this. I, I sometimes I know some people who worked here on this and this that. Nope, I know nothing. I know nothing about the team that made this series. Okay, I'm, but I'm going to go this route, Joseph. I have a feeling Favreau said something and was like, ah, I don't know. Uh, prequels are okay because Dave starts the speech off with a little bit like you and I were just talking about of 
no, 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 no. Let me tell you what. <laughs> you think that they edited out some light prequel bashing and or questioning and that just yeah. set Floney off. I think so. Maybe not. I don't know. I'm having fun. <laughs> I really good folks. I love John Favre. Swingers, one of my all time favorite movies. I even like made. All right. His follow up to his directorial debut. I like chef. I like the first Iron Man. I really do love Favre. I think he's a Star Wars fan. I don't want anyone to take away from this episode that I think Johnny, uh, Johnny Favs is a cutoff artist who makes fun of Star Wars. That's not what <laughs> inside, though. That's, uh, that's what I think of him. So, yeah. Anyways, that's my answer. That's a good answer. Good answer. <laughs> well said. Well said. The Force Center story. This brings to a close the Mandalorian report. Uh, thank you all for listening, supporting, uh, and following Joseph and Jennifer and I on this adventure that has uh, grown and changed, but Star Wars hasn't, going back to when we started this in 2015. Uh, you can follow us at Force Center. Use the hashtag Force Center. We are on YouTube, everybody. YouTube. Go check out our in memoriams. We got Star Wars show and tells and more coming, and there's stuff in the backlog to check on out. We are uh, on Patreon as well, patreon.com slash Force Center. Instagram, all the places, uh, uh, T public for t-shirts, tpublic.com slash user slash force center. Uh, and, uh, again, we just appreciate everyone for supporting here and don't forget to go to audibletrail.com slash force center. If you want to try an audio book on us, uh, Joseph, we're almost out of here. Where can they follow you? Yeah, you can uh, follow all of my adventures on Twitter and Instagram is at Joseph Scrimshaw. And if you're interested in checking out comedy albums and uh, when future shows will be in my other podcast, Obsessed, you can go to my website at josephscrimshaw.com. You can go to kennapsuck.com for all of my adventures as well. That's it for now. We'll see you next week on The Mandalorian Report. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.